Well, I got a question for you this morning. Who do you trust? And I got a survey here from Forbes, Forbes Magazine and Statista combined for a very common poll. I'm going to grab that other mic right now, guys. Where's that other mic at? I'm going to grab this one right here. Got some feedback going on. We good? Now we're good. I've got a, a poll here from Forbes and Statista giving us percentage of U.S. adults saying and how much trust with regard to high honesty and ethical standards for the following different areas of profession in descending order. Nurses, 82%. Got any nurses in the house? You guys are top of the heap right there. Give them a hand. <laughs> Military officers, 71%. Grade school teachers, Garth, 66%. Medical doctors, and a notch below them, 65%. It's going to get dicey here, people. Pharmacists, 62%. I don't know, man. When I was running away from God, the guys that were dishing out the drugs, they were never 62% for me. Uh, police officers, 50, uh, 56%. Judges, 43%. Clergy, 42%. We're going to talk about that today. Bankers, 25%. Newspaper reporters, 25%. That's a bummer, isn't it? <laughs> I am in a profession where 75% of the people don't trust me at all. <laughs> and then we got uh, local office holders, 24%. It's getting dicey here. TV reporters, 23%. They're right above loan sharks. Um, then we got lawyers at 18%, business executives at 16%. That surprised me a little bit. And then lobbyists at 8%. We got a big trust factor out there, don't we? And it's not all good. You know, I went to a lunch with a man that was absolutely almost borderline harassing me to get a lunch with me. And when you're doing radio and we have a large listening audience to our morning show if you don't know this some of you might be encouraged to know that our morning show in the latest cum uh, stats that came back we beat wgn and we beat wls with our morning show and we beat this is my favorite espn radio with our morning show which is pretty amazing man because I don't know if I'm driving down the road if I'm listening to us over ESPN. Anyway, um, but I, I, I get a kick out of that, and, I'm, and yet the weightiness of that really didn't hit me. I'm not a radio guy. I'm a pastor at heart, and it's really a funny route how God got me into radio. But I got this email that kept coming in from this guy named Ed, and I'm like, Ed... Why does he want to go have a cup of coffee or lunch? And he says, I'm buying and all this stuff. And it's like, what is going on? And finally, I find out that this guy, Ed Bassler, is like a super well-known, kind of like Godfather of the City guy. He was down here at McCormick Conference Center way back years and years ago when he was a young man. And they had business conventions, spiritual business meetings down here where they would bring in names. You might not know this name, Corey Ten Boom and Luis Palau, and different people would come, and they would dish up the gospel, and he was responsible for baptizing businessmen and businesswomen who were giving their lives to Jesus. And they'd be dunking once a month, like 50 to 100 people. I mean, there was a bit of an awakening going on in Chicago. 
And then after that, Ed was involved with a lot of things. Sold Out was a student ministry that was out in the burbs. They bought a warehouse. They're reaching 500, 700 kids that are coming to this thing. They got a full-on rock band. They're discipling kids. They're taking them to Israel. I mean, the ministry he had going on was profound. And so he finally got a hold of me and said, I'm going to take you to lunch. Where are we going? I said, we're going to a place near my house. And so we went to the Boston Fish Market. And I sat down with him, and this guy plops down, and I know he's got an agenda because he's got a manila envelope sitting there. And I'm like, oh, no. Is, I'm, is this a multi-level marketing scam? Did I get, what, what's going on? And he begins to pull out articles. This is before we even order. And he pulls out articles about how God has moved over the years in Chicagoland. And then he whipped out articles of churches and leaders in churches that had had moral failings in Chicagoland. And then he pulled out another one with moral failings in Chicagoland. And maybe not moral failings, but there was a question mark with regard to leadership and leadership style, and there was a fall from grace in some way, shape, or form. And Ed Bassler looked up at me, and he said... Carl, you're one of the most high-profile names in this city. Don't screw this up. And that took my breath away, took my appetite away, took everything away from me that day. But it was an awesome word from a man of God who loved me to bits. Ed just went to his reward here just a couple of months ago, and I had a chance to share just briefly at his at his celebration of life, for which about 700 people in an auditorium standing against the wall, there were no seats in the house, just because he was so respected and so mightily used of God. Why do I share that story? Because we're jumping into a central passage today in the Sermon on the Mount that deals with leadership in the church. And it's funny that I'm standing here sharing on this today. You know, I was wondering where to put this in the message, so I just want you to lend me your heart before I even take you to the central passage. You know, there's a lot of us in the church that are cynical and skeptical. And I don't blame you. There's a lot of you, maybe you're a guest here today, and you're wondering, man, I wonder if this guy's the real deal. And that's fair. As a matter of fact, I don't want to deny you questioning leadership in any form. In fact, I want to always encourage you to embrace, let me be real clear here, I want you to embrace observation. But let me do something really just different than I normally do here. Let me just talk with you for a moment, just very practically, about how sometimes we talk about the church. Now, the church is where God has set everything up. I'm involved with parachurch organizations. I see radio as parachurch. My job is to come alongside the church. I've said that to management. The minute I got in here, I said, we are not the church. We come alongside the church. That's what we do. And yet the church has a big question mark over it today. But I want to give you some perspective on this. In Chicagoland, with 8.5 million people, there are approximately 5,200 churches that are gospel-preaching churches in Chicagoland for 8.5 million people. And I want to encourage you with one word here. 
No matter how high profile some of these failings in churches and church structure are, there are thousands that haven't bowed a knee to Baal in Chicagoland. There are thousands who have been faithful today and will continue to be until the day we bury these brothers. There's a lot of good people in Chicagoland. And I know the tendency to be skeptical. I went through a season in my life, in fact, the only time that my wife ever said she felt like what it would be like to be married to a lost guy was about a two-week stretch in Colorado that I had been burned by someone in leadership. And I walked into a church, I'll never forget it, I'm not going to mention the name of the church because it wasn't about the church, it was about me. And I walked in and I sat down and the worship band began to play and I said something so cynical about the worship leader. Never met him, don't know a thing about him, but because of my experience, I was looking to him with a wry eye, like something might be wrong here. After I said it, I looked over at my bride, and she's choked up, and she's wiping away tears. And that little stretch in my life only lasted two weeks. It was actually the best man in my wedding called me up, and he said, are you going to let one petty person cause you to pitch the faith like this get back on the horse and ride that's all i needed from my buddy i'm like yeah that's true come on next morning i got up i busted open the word god started irrigating my soul and that cynicism went away now i want to continue to talk with you and just tell you i don't want you to ever lose observation i'm not telling you to stop looking what i am telling you to do is stop being a fruit inspector. You know what the definition of inspect is? It's to examine carefully and critically, especially for flaws. There's a lot of discussion. We've got some Bible school students here. Age-old discussion in Bible college and seminaries are, are we to be fruit inspectors? And I'm going to tell you right now, no way! But the absence of fruit inspection doesn't mean the lack of observation. So hang with me here. I want to be super clear. If you are a person that walks around looking at leadership in this church or any other church, no matter where you go and you've got an inspector mindset, you will succeed. You know why? I have flaws. If you're looking for flaws, you're going to find them. And I know what it is to be a Bible college student, and I love Bible college students. I'm so glad that the Moody students have come back home. <laughs> Our home. Because it's, 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 there's this spiritual hunger, and there's this growing field right there of ripeness, and it's awesome. I love student, student ministries and what God's doing through Moody. But I want to tell you, I didn't plan on doing this, but I want to tell you, Moody students, it's so easy as a Bible college student to get cynical, man. It's so easy. Don't, don't become cynical. I've seen some of the most gifted, talented, great people let cynicism ruin them. I say it a lot here. 
Cynicism is not a spiritual gift. You need to do everything you can to root that out. And then if you're honest with yourself and honest with me this morning, you're saying, well, Carl, if, if we're not going to be looking for flaws, then what ought we be doing? And I will tell you this. I'll never be one that says, sit down, shut up, trust your leadership. I never will. I never will. But I will say, observation's much better than inspection any day of the week. To observe is to, to be or become aware of, especially through careful and direction, directed attention or notice. See, when you are a fruit inspector, you're looking for flaws. And remember, you'll find them. You'll find them. But when you are, our message today, a fruit observer, everything's going to change. So I want to get up on this high ridge. And the high ridge that we're talking about today from the Sermon on the Mount is not a perspective where we are falling off one side that says, I'm blind to leadership. I'm good. I'm fine with any kind of leadership out there. I don't, I don't ask and I don't tell. And the other side is, yeah, I'm suspicious. I've been burned in the past. I know people that have, and I am going to keep my eyes wide open. More than that, I'm going to look for flaws because you'll find them. So how do fruit observers work? That's exactly what Jesus teaches on today. So I'm just along for the ride with Jesus as we open up his Sermon on the Mount, and we're getting near the end of this. A couple more weeks after this, and then, by the way, we're going to jump into a really cool series on the life of Joseph, one of the most unbelievable men in the Scriptures. There, I just gave it away, guys. Told them what we're doing. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15. Excuse me, yes, verse 15. Check this out. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So let me just cut it to you straight here today. Some spiritual leaders masquerade as ministers. Some spiritual leaders masquerade as ministers, but their intention is selfish and sinister. I'm going to read that again. Some spiritual leaders masquerade as ministers, but their intention is selfish and sinister. You might ask, well, Pastor Carl, how many do you think there are out there that are like this? I don't know. But I know them when I see them. Some of them are so overtly this way that you can't miss it. One of the most horrifying things that I've ever had to sit through, and I didn't sit through the whole thing. My bride was with me. We had little uh, Cabe, and he was about a year old. And we had Muriel. We were in South Africa. I was coaching a multiracial track and, te uh, track and field team and doing church planting. There were no white guys within 10 kilometers of us. We were with the people, man. We had Zulus out our back door. We had Indians out our front door. We had coloreds to our left. And that's a people group in South Africa, and they don't feel demeaned by that. They actually respect that. 
And it was an incredible opportunity to get a taste of what in the world goes on in different cultures and how God is perceived and how you minister in an incarnational way with different kinds of people. And then we got invited to this event where this preacher from America had come. And this one guy said, oh, yeah, we'd like you to be there. And so my wife and I showed up. We're sitting about four rows deep, five rows deep. It's not a huge church, but it's pretty sizable. And when we got in there, it began to fill up and fill up and fill up. And I mean, it's filled overflowing. And then this guy from America gets up. And man, if I'd have had rotten tomatoes, I'd have been throwing them at him. What a spiritual loser. This guy got up there and he began to twist the word of God and using it out of context in ways that were horrible. And all I remember him saying before we made a big move was, if you're living in poverty, you got a demon of poverty. And we're going to cast the demon of poverty out. This is the way we're going to do it. We're going to have you walk down front, give some money. And we're going to cast out these demons of poverty. I didn't know what to do. I'm older now. I was young then. I was in my 20s, mid-20s. But I knew I couldn't sit there. And so my wife and I put on a little bit of a show because we didn't want to be the white guys from America that hung out while this charlatan's up there preaching away. So we got up, made a little bit of noise, actually, getting our kids together, hauling them out. And I remember just looking at him going, I just gave him the eye. And this big old boy who already had the gift of gluttony, he began to just sweat. We walked out the door because we could not possibly see ourselves sitting there, thereby rubber stamping what this picking scumbag was saying. It was awful. So sometimes they're right there. But some spiritual leaders masquerade as ministers and they look like the mask is there. But like this minister, he opened his mouth and sometimes a minister opens his mouth and the wolf has no clothes. But most masquerading ministers who are really internally aimed at their own gain, whether it's financial, power. And I'm going to be real candid with you. This is going to be a really different day here today. I, I got to tell you, ministry, especially stateside in America, can be a pretty big power trip. It can be a power trip. So guys that are tripping on power, this can be a good gig. Guys that are tripping on money, it can be a pretty good gig. Trying to be really careful here. Can you tell? So we've got to begin to kind of unveil, well, well, what do we do? If we don't have a preacher that's getting up there saying heretical stuff, what do you do? Carl, you said don't be looking for flaws. You'll find them in everyone. What do we do? Jesus answers that right with these next verses. Look at this. He says, verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What's the answer? Come on, people. What's the answer? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. It's unable to do it. 
And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I got a couple quick thoughts on understanding this simple little illustration from Jesus. First, I want you to know a couple of things. This is super important. Fruit bearing comes in seasons, so you may have to wait a bit to see it. Don't make snap judgments. Fruit is born in season. It doesn't mean you walk in and you see a spiritual leader just draped with fruit, like clusters of grapes hanging off of his life. That isn't always going to be the case. Sometimes some of the most powerful ministers, as you're going to see here in a moment, are some of the quietest guys. And some of the most godly guys out there are doing things on the down low, man, and they're doing it right. And there's so many of them that are doing it right. But in time, you'll see. Another thing I'd like to say that just relates to this little teaching that Jesus gives right here is that anyone can claim to be something or someone, but the fruit won't lie. It won't lie. Here's how I'd say this. Because we live in a very image-conscious world today, the life of a minister is best measured by the fruit of labor, not the folly of image. And I know, I, I know, I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to get up in the morning and feel like, hey, what am I going to put on today? Hey, what am I going to wear? How will I be perceived and all that? And then we sometimes in turn judge people that we want to listen to based on those same metrics. Those become our same measuring things. That can't be our measurement. Any minister can make a splash, but only the good trees make a difference. And that's a big deal, guys. And there's many of them out there who are being faithful, putting their hand to the plow. And they're not flashy, but their splash is leaving ripples in our culture today. And they're all over out here right now, preaching the word all around Chicagoland. Faithful dudes. I want to tell you about one faithful guy. I've shared that much to my own shame, I had prejudged a guy when we went to South Africa. I'd never met him before, Jim Streetelmeyer. And I pulled in in Johannesburg into a parking lot of a home where we were going to have our first orientation and meet these three couples. One from John Piper's church, Bethlehem, up in Minnesota. Another couple that had come from Moody Bible Institute. And I always thought, oh, Moody, that's inferior to my college, Multnomah Bible College. Just threw that out for free, you guys. Um, and so I thought, all right, who's this Moody guy anyway? Um, so we pull in, and as I'm pulling in, uh, Jim, my buddy Jim, who is now one of my dearest friends, this is what happens. You ready for this? I'm driving in, and he turns around, and he looks at our car, and he kind of walks with duck feet like this, and he's got his feet out like this, and he waves, and he's got this big old cheesy grin, and I said, now there's a missionary to my wife. And I didn't mean that in a cool way. I lived to regret those words 
and it wasn't long. Jim Streelmeyer is one of the most powerful ministers of the gospel you will ever meet in your life. He won Alumni of the Year last year at Moody. And let me tell you why. Not only was this guy powerful when we were together in South Africa, when we came back stateside, he went to the inner city of Indianapolis, started to plant a church in a ramshackle garage that was detached from his house. You know what the greeting committee was there? You know what it looked like to have his church plant that was launched out from the church in the Burbs? It was he and his wife and a couple guys that had been saved by God's grace that were formerly homeless. And they set up in a garage. And his welcome present to the neighborhood was some gang members came by and shot up the garage while they were meeting. And he stayed. And he stayed. And he stayed. And he raised up a little church and started training elders. And they started buying up buildings but then he started getting given churches to this time six churches have been given to him because some of them are getting out of dodge city man or too much crack cocaine there's too many transvestites walking the streets and jim said i'm gonna stay and he stayed yeah my buddy jim stayed and he and debbie have been unbelievable they've taken this little area of this town and he tells me the other day when i'm talking with him i said how are you going how's it going jim he goes you know our food kitchen's going great he said ha huh? that's how he laughs ha huh? he says i am right now mentoring 10 transvestites and this is the most exciting ministry i've ever done They have brought in the University of Indiana. They have brought in mentorship programs for dental, for medical. He has hundreds of interns down caring for the homeless and the working poor. He's got mayors, senators, everyone coming down going, how are you doing this? He's doing it by the power of God through a humble, humble, desirous man to see God work through him. I was watching his uh, induction into whatever you would call this Alumni of the Year Award, and they were reading off his bio, and they got done with it, and it seemed long, and I, I'm watching it on my phone while I was in Orlando. I couldn't be there. I was down at another event, and I went to the phone, and I go, ha, that's a quarter of what this guy's done. Amazing man of God. The life of a minister is best measured by the fruit of labor, not the folly of image. I want to add another little warning here, and that is never look for a certain kind of fruit. I think another determination we can have is we assess the kind of fruit we want in our leaders. I know that. I, I get that. Some of you might be saying, man, I wish there was a whole lot of Jim in you, Carl. But I'm Carl. And I can only produce fruit in my life that is consistent with the way God's hardwired me. But as I abide in Christ, I will bear fruit too. 
I really loved you. In Matthew 7, verse 20, Jesus then caps this little section with this statement. So then, imagine Jesus on that mountainside. So then, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not inspect them. You will observe and you will see. So could I be this clear before I get really practical here today? There's no need to speculate about whether a minister is a pretender. You'll see it soon enough. Isn't that great? I know some of you have been burned so big time that everything inside you wants to walk into a room and go, what about this, what about that, what about that? I'm telling you, don't do that. Two reasons. Number one, you're going to read something into the situation that ain't there, and you're ripping yourself off from the joy of the abundant life. You're putting yourself in jury and judge position. We can't be there. Are there times when we need to walk away from a church? Sure. God willing, that won't be too much more frequency in our city. But man, if you can just slow your roll and just come in with a perspective, not of what's he doing right, what's he doing wrong, what's he... No, 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 go... Is there fruit being born here? And if it ain't even the fruit I want, God, you know I love, you know I love apples, but this guy's got grapes. Uh, grapes are good with you? Then be good with it. I got three quick transferable principles for, for fruit observers. Because I think this thing has overlay into every area of our life. And I just want to give these to you just quickly. Number one, never lose your position of objectivity. What do I mean by this? I mean never deify anyone in leadership. Never denigrate willy-nilly anyone in leadership. Stay objective. Don't lose your objectivity. And you know, if you're a single adult here, you know how much I love talking with you, and we've got a young adult movement that's beginning here, and it's not just for Moody. It's, it's awesome. God's doing something really sweet here. And I'm telling you, when we get past Labor Day and everybody gets back from vacations and all this stuff, we're going to see a movement of God with our young adults here that is really awesome. I don't know exactly how this is going to be pulled off, but God's going to do it. But let me speak to you about never losing your position of objectivity. My wife and I love to coach and mentor young couples who are in love. And you know what we tell them all the time? Ooh, man, here we go. Among a lot of other things that we tell them, this is one that we give them. Do not sleep with each other. Don't do it. And, and some of you might be saying, why, Carl? Because that's because you're a Christian, you need to say that? No, I can look at the gin pop out there, baby. I can look at the gin pop and just tell you right now, 
I'm not an expert on everything, but I know a few things really well. And I'm telling you right now, when you have sexual relations in a pre-marriage situation, objectivity goes whoop, out the door. It's gone. Don't act married until you are. Your ability to be able to assess, is there good fruit here or not, is gonzo when you get it on. There are married couples in here that could testify to what I just said. And I just appeal to you, not from a standpoint of a legalism or an angry Christian or angry evangelical, just from practicality. God put in order this thing, and sex is his invention. He didn't look down and go, oh, there they go again. Yeah, we're in church here, aren't we? God's not ashamed of good sex. But sex is greatest, and we've saved it for marriage. And when you save it for marriage, you've run the traps of observation long enough to know that you're not getting a perfect person but you know clearly what you're getting into. Plus, ladies, let me just add one thing. Men are hunters. Make those suckers hunt. If you're watching online, welcome to church this morning. <laughs> Uh, second thing I want to give you, these last two I'm going to give you quickly. So, Caleb, come up, get your guitar, man. Life plus time always reveals the truth. Life lived plus time always reveals the truth. And let me tell you that the fruit of teachability is a great universal fruit to look for. This morning, I had a chance to take a young lady to the airport who stayed the night with us. And she's a friend of the family. She is really interested in a guy. She asked me, Pastor Carl, what are you teaching on today? Whoop, that's throwing red meat to me, man. And I said, I'm so glad you asked because it relates to where you're going. So I told her the first point of this, objectivity. I told her this. Gave her this one. Really cool ride to the airport. And I said, the second one is this. Make sure that the fruit that you're seeing, and, and this is the universal fruit that shows that this man, woman, preacher can exceed their flaws, and that is this. Teach ability teachability 
Show me a man who's teachable. Show me a man who's willing to say, I got that wrong. Ladies, I'm going to show you a hunk of burning love that might be worth walking down the aisle with. Third thing I want to give you is, this is where it come home, comes home to you. Don't think you were getting out of this thing scot-free today. Make certain you're living true-faced. What's that mean? True-faced is not only a book, it's a phenomenal book, by the way. It's the ability that we have to live without masks in this world today. Pulling them down. Because the amazing thing that I found as a pastor is that there's a lot of fruit inspectors out there that never take the time to look at their sorry selves. It's like, wow, they got everyone assessed and buttoned down. But you think they could look under their own hood? And sometimes I've told them, dude, quit ripping everyone. You ought to look at the man in the mirror. You are a piece of work. And I have said those things. Leadership is never going to be perfect. But there's a whole lot of faithful people out there just seeking the Lord and duking it out. And again, I get buried with a bunch of people there that attest to the fact that there was fruit coming off that vine. Never stop observing. Don't put your head in the sand. But stop inspecting. You'll be the better for it. God, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. That you made this thing called the church, filled with imperfect people, imperfect leaders. But all of us given an opportunity to bear fruit. Some grapes, some apples, some bananas. Gather, God, whether it's our specific palate and fits it or not, God, give us the grace to observe and even cheer for fruit. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, may the God who loves you immensely and desires that you be shepherded well, may he give you wisdom to observe and not inspect. May he grace you with his power to live true-faced yourself, and may his peace be on you. Have a great day.